The scripture lesson today is from Acts 20, 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many, many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting out the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. This is God's word. This is, in my opinion, one of the funniest scriptures in the whole Bible. So pay attention to the story. Paul is preaching, intending to leave the next day, and he preaches all night long. Did you catch that? All night long. And uh, about midnight, they're up in this upper room in the third story. A man named Eutychus falls asleep, as sometimes happens during sermons. I understand that, right? And he fell out the window, but he fell the wrong way. He would have been fine falling one way, but he falls the other way and dies at the bottom of the house. Okay? This is one of the only times preaching has killed anybody. Okay? So Paul goes down to check on the person. Of course, you have to stop your sermon at that point. Okay? You got to check this out. And the text says that Paul leans over him. That's really a nice way of saying it. Um, The Greek there literally means he throws himself on him. He lies down on top of him. That's what, that's what he really does. He goes down, he lays down on top of him, takes him over his arm, says, he's fine, goes back up and finishes preaching until daybreak. Okay, he just keeps preaching. And uh, when they go to leave, the boy is okay. Everybody is a little comforted is what the text kind of says. Okay. Um, I wonder, I, the text doesn't say they brought him up. Did they just leave him down there? We never know that either. I want you to notice a couple things about this passage. First of all, you can never complain about how long my sermons are. Okay, it's established. Paul preached all night. If I go a little long, you can't say anything. Okay. Number two, I believe I now have a biblical description of what I should do if you fall asleep during my sermon. Okay. So if anybody falls asleep, I'm going to come down and I'm going to lay on top of you. Tell everybody that you're okay, and then I'm going to come back here and keep finish preaching. And uh, I'm pretty sure I'll only have to do it one time. <laughs> Notice, though, how important preaching is to Paul. Okay? Well, you could be sleeping, but really, i got to make sure I get this message across to you. And the expectation is, even if someone dies, we got to get this message out, right? For Paul, preaching is incredibly, incredibly important. More important than sleep on that particular night, apparently. But notice also that we have no idea what Paul said. In fact, it's really interesting in the Bible. As important as preaching is in the Bible, we don't ever really get a description of how to preach, and we barely get descriptions of sermons. Okay, Paul writes in his, some of his letters, we get some little parts of his talks, but we never get a full sermon. Even Jesus, we get the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, 
But Jesus preaches that for so long, he's got to feed the people because he's been preaching so long. They're there for days. Okay? And what we have written from the Sermon on the Mount is definitely not that long, which means we don't have Jesus' full sermon. We just have pieces of his teaching. So we understand from the Bible that preaching is important, but the Bible doesn't actually say much about what it is or how to do it. So this has been the debate for years and years for preachers. What is preaching and how do we understand it? And I'm willing to bet that in all your time as a Christian, all the many, many sermons you, some of you have heard, that you've never been asked to consider what a sermon was or what your job is when it happens. Has anyone ever told you how to listen to a sermon? Have you ever been taught that? No. So today, I want to wrestle with what is a sermon and how do we listen to it? I want to know why we do what we do. Um, the, the only place, the best place in the Bible where we can get an understanding of the core of preaching is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, uh, Paul, who uh, preaches long, we know, gives an explanation to the church at Corinth of the message he was trying to deliver when he was with them. Let me read it. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So God, so Paul comes not with lofty speech. Okay? The point of preaching is not to entertain or impress or to wow. Um, it doesn't mean that uh, there shouldn't be joy as part of preaching. Uh, I think joy is key to the Christian faith. I also think I have sort of the spiritual gift of sarcasm. And so that comes out in my preaching a little bit. I don't think the Bible is boring. And I don't think the gospel is boring at all. And so I don't think preaching should be boring. Uh, well, the... Maybe in the Bible, something like Leviticus, a little bit boring. But there, there's still life, and there's still great things going on there. No, what Paul was wanting to do in his preaching was focus on Christ. Christ and Christ crucified. That's his message. That's what he wants people to know. Not his own smarts, not his own wisdom. In fact, this power of preaching has to come from the power of God. And it focuses on the good news. In the Greek, the word for good news is euangelion which you may not think you know that word, but if you've ever heard the word evangelism, it's based on this word, evangelical, based on euangelion. It means good news. But it was a political term. I don't know if you know that. In the Roman Empire, whenever they had a, a, a military campaign and they conquered somebody else or they offended someone else, they would send out a euangelion, a good news. And a report would go to every city in the Roman Empire saying, good news, we conquered another nation. Good news, our power is stronger than it's ever been before. Good news. And then they would gather the people together to tell them about this good news, and they would call it an ecclesia. That's what they would call it, the, the public gathering for the proclamation of the good news. And the early Christians picked up on this and said, hey, we have good news that's better than the Roman good news. This is, Rome, Rome, this is good news that came not in conquering, but in Jesus being conquered by death. And then rising again. 
And so they called their gatherings ecclesia. We would later translate that word as church. Church is where they would gather for this good news. So these, this is a, a very political sort of phrase that the early Christians said, you know what, when we gather, we are proclaiming good news, but it's good news about Jesus. It's good news about Jesus being crucified and risen from the dead. That is the core, I think, of preaching. And I believe there's too much preaching in the West today where Jesus is not the Savior, but we are. Sermons like 10 ways to save your marriage or three ways to save the poor. You know what? You don't save anything. Jesus is the only Savior that we should be proclaiming. Now, I want you to have a good marriage, and I care about the poor, but the, core to, the key to a good marriage and the key to helping the poor is making sure you know who the real Savior is. I pray that you never hear a sermon where I'm in this pulpit where Jesus is not first and foremost proclaimed, his death and his resurrection. Now, the good news does have implications, right? Just because Jesus has saved us, now we have to live differently, always in response but there is a response. A response is needed. So part of preaching is also calling us to respond to the good news, which is where real life comes in sometimes. I also think the Bible is central to the sermon. When Jesus wants to reveal himself after the resurrection, what does he do? He opens up the scriptures. He opens up the law and the prophets, and he describes who he was. The Bible is the authoritative and normative way that the good news of Jesus Christ is revealed. Authoritative, meaning there are other ways that we see God's good news. We see the good news in the creation on a spring day as flowers are blooming, right? We see it in the lives of another person when they visit and give us love and care. We see it sometimes in our mothers and our grandmothers as they care for us. But the Bible is the authoritative and the normal. That's what we go back to to double check all the other ways that we're seeing Christ. But then, how is a sermon supposed to look or feel? We can get some basic understandings from the Bible, but then we've got to sort of figure it out from there. There are a lot of different styles and uh, types of sermons. And I am a person who likes to try to vary my sermons. Some pastors say that all sermons should be exegetical. In other words, you should take a Bible verse and you should spell it out. Verse by verse, here we go. The problem is I don't see Paul or Jesus doing that at all. Paul or Jesus, when they preach, when they teach, they are saturated, stooped in Scripture. It just comes out of them. It's a part of everything they do, but, but it's not all about just breaking down a particular passage. Sometimes there's a point... A part, there's sometimes there's a need to do that. And I like to do that very often. But there are other times when, uh, when uh, a topic is better. Where I might say, uh, and I'm doing it right now, right? I'm not necessarily hanging to a particular verse about preaching, but I'm talking about preaching in general. Last week I did the same thing for worship. Some sermons focus on special days or festivals like Easter, Christmas Eve, Pentecost. When we go to Pentecost at Clenmore next week, I would be very surprised if we don't hear a Pentecost sermon, okay? It's expected on those certain days that the preaching lines up with the day. Sometimes I like to preach theological sermons where we take something like the Trinity, something like the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and we wrestle with it a little bit. And that way I'm probably in a lot of different scriptures, but I'm trying to give these ideas and sort of bring those out. 
Sometimes I really like to preach uh, biographical sermons, and you haven't heard those yet. I really like to do this in the fall, Reformation Sunday. I like to take a great hero of the faith and tell their life story and let their life story sort of be the text and the inspiration for the day. There's lots of different types of sermons. All should be informed by the Bible, um, but, but I like to, to vary my sermons based on the message. The other challenge for pastors is, also, is having variety in sermons. One of the problems that pastors have is that uh, if I just preach everything I want to preach, then I'm probably going to avoid certain topics and certain texts and certain kinds of ideas. And I know a lot of pastors that do that. You've probably heard pastors that basically only have one sermon. Have you heard these pastors? They basically have one sermon in every text. They preach back to the one idea that they have. Part of the discipline for pastors is that we have to try to find some way to make sure we're not passing our weaknesses and our blind spots on to you. So some preachers use a lectionary where they have set scriptures that they go by. Uh, I tend to read a lot and like to preach stuff that I'm uncomfortable with and learning. So I find I do kind of preach naturally a lot of different stuff. Although I like to preach through books of the Bible for this purpose. Because sometimes I'll get to a scripture I wouldn't normally like to preach. And the text leads me there, so I've got to preach what I would normally be blind to. So I like to preach in a variety of styles and in a variety of topics. And my job as the preacher is to study the word and consider this community. To listen to the Holy Spirit and to do my best to bring a message from the Lord. To use the biblical idea. I, I, I see myself in some ways like Moses going to the mountain to get the message to bring it back to you all uh, in your lives. And I take that very seriously. I try to do that prayerfully and with a lot of thought and with a lot of study so that God might be shaping the church culture and shepherding you all uh, through my preaching. And what I have found about preaching is that it's much more about God than it is about me. I have preached some sermons that I thought were great sermons where I got done and I thought that was a masterpiece. And nobody responded to those sermons. I just got blank stares. And I have preached sermons that were junk. Okay? Then I knew they were junk. And I worked with them and worked with them. And I never, and if I had five more hours, I would never have brought this into any kind of good sermon. Okay? I'm just thinking, I hope there's no college professors in the pews when I preach this thing. And people come up to me and say, wow, Jordan, this moved me and this moved me. And I think, Okay, God, that's one way to keep me humble, okay? I've also had people come up to me after sermons and say, Jordan, I'm so glad you said this. It meant so much to me. And I've thought, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that at all. Where did they get that? Are they even listening to the same sermon? Do you know what I found? I have found that there's something going on in preaching that is beyond me. And I have figured out it's the Holy Spirit, and I have no way of controlling it, and I have no way of predicting it. I just pray that it happens and it happens right. That's all I can do. Okay? That there is a Holy Spirit that is speaking through me, I hope, and sometimes saying stuff to you that I didn't even intend to say to you, but God did. So that's my job. My job is to try to come up with that and plan for that and pray for that. Now, you also have a job in preaching. Okay, because there's this whole God thing going on. You have a job to listen to this sermon and to receive it. Do you remember the parable of the soils? How there's bad soil and there's dry soil and there's roots in the soil and then there's good soil. Like, you need to be good soil when you come in here. 
Okay, you need to prayerfully get ready for worship so that when I preach, you're not listening to me, but you're listening to the God piece of whatever's going on. So let me give you some suggestions about how to listen to sermons. Because I'm willing to bet you've never heard these in your life. But let me give you some hints for listening to sermons. Number one, pray. Pray for me that I'm listening to God, that I'm not struggling with sin, that I'm not sick and I can bring my best in my sermon. And pray for you that you would be ready to receive, that God speaks to you and that you don't miss it. That God has a word and God has a treasure for you when somebody's in this pulpit and that you won't miss it, but you would receive it. Have your heart open. Have your head ready. Have you ever listened to somebody when you didn't want to listen to them? When you decided ahead of time, I don't want to hear what this person has to say. Okay, and you cross your arms and you're, no, no, no. Do the work of getting yourself open and ready, not just for me, but for God. What is God going to say in this time? And listen to God speaking. Expect the Holy Spirit to be in the mix and tune in. Expect that somewhere in this sermon, God has something specific to say to you and be ready for it. At the same time, be critical when you listen. Now, that may seem sort of opposite to being open, but I don't see it that way. I think to be open, you also don't have to take my word for it. I am wrong a lot. Not as much as my wife thinks I am, but I'm wrong sometimes. Okay? I had someone this past week tell me they had some questions. They doubted some things about my, my Ruth sermon. And they went back and they studied it and found, oh, I was not crazy that some of the stuff I was saying was actually true. Do you think that offended me? No. I love that somebody went back and studied the scripture because of something I said. That's perfect. That's what we're going for. Okay. Don't, don't just accept it. Go back and look it up for yourself. Share what you've learned. You can share it with me. Don't just tell me you liked my sermon. Okay. I've had people tell me that that was a very nice sermon, and I saw them sleeping in it, okay? I know it's not true. They didn't, okay? Tell me, this is really helpful for me. Tell me something you learned in the sermon. Tell me something you stood out to you. Tell me where God was at work in the sermon for you. That's helpful for me to hear. That's encouraging for me to hear. That's also encouraging for your spouse to hear. That's also encouraging for your kids and your grandkids to hear. Okay, and now some of your kids and grandkids are with Aaron. I would love for you to ask them later what they learned when they were with Aaron. Have conversations about it. We used to have Sunday dinner. Does everybody remember Sunday dinner? And what you, a lot of times you talk about the sermon and what happened in church. You need that space. Find that space. Talk to others about it. Take it home and chew on it. Let it guide your prayers and devotions. I would be very interested if, if, if you, like somebody was telling me in Bible study this week, they don't know where to get started. Get started with the sermons. Okay, I had an Acts passage, and then I talked about a 1 Corinthians passage. Go that, this week and look it up for yourself. Let the sermon guide some of your study. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have some conversations. This may be a little hard for some of you. You may have to take some notes during the sermon. You may have to write a couple things down, because I don't know about your memory, but my memory is not always that good. And I preached it. And if you ask me what I preached on Thursday, I can't always remember, which means I know you can't remember. So make some notes. Write down a couple things that stand out to you. Write them on your bulletin. Get them out when you get home to pray over them. 
Let the sermon, let the ideas pray, be part of your prayer life this week. See, there's a lot you can do to help the sermon come in here. Okay? Come in here and come in here. Okay? So do your part. Because this is key. The sermon was never meant to be your entire spiritual diet. Okay? You cannot expect an hour a week to sustain you spiritually. Okay? It was never meant to be that way. Parents, you cannot expect an hour of church or an hour of, of a youth group to, to make your kids disciples of Jesus Christ. It's just not enough. That gives the world way too much other time to tell you different things about yourself and how life works. If this is the only spiritual life you have, you are spiritually starving yourself. And uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but I've seen a lot of people for whom life gets rough and they don't have the spiritual muscles to handle it. And it's because they haven't been working out. Okay, all of a sudden life demands of you a spiritual marathon and you haven't been training. Of course it's going to hurt. Of course you're going to be sore. But if you're exercising those spiritual muscles, when those things come up, you're at least somewhat ready. Even if worship is inspiring and the sermons are right on, it's only an hour a week. So you've got to develop those muscles in other places. And that's critical because the ultimate goal of preaching is to support your spiritual life, not be your spiritual life. Okay? And here's why it's important. Because most of the community and most of the world is not listening to the sermon. Okay? They're not listening to my sermon. They're not listening to any sermons. The only sermons they're going to hear, the only proclamation of the good news that they're going to see is your lives. Okay? You are living the only sermons that most people in this community are going to ever hear. And so you need to build that up. You need to hear the sermon. You need to digest the sermon so that you live your life as a proclamation of the good news. So that somebody looks at you and say, wow, you're going through a lot, but you still have so much joy. Tell me about why. And you can say, yeah, I'll tell you about why. And I'll take you where I found my why and where I get fed. And I'll show you how to do this. You are the sermon that the world needs, not mine. My sermon is just supposed to be a spark for you. So take it seriously that you are listening that you are digesting and that you are living what is proclaimed here in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.